welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes your favorite apparently heterosexual films and demonstrates why that is not, in fact, the case. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. Uh, and I just want to apologize in advance for any sound problems on my end. I don't have my usual setup this week. Uh, but we are returning to a sort of classic in other ways mm. this week, I feel. Mm. Period drama month continues inadvertently it really does period drama year we are having like a whole moment yeah we kept being like there's no period dramas we can do and then we keep thinking of some yeah yeah i mean shout out i think i guess matt minichino originally suggested this to us although i think it was on the list who knows i refuse to keep giving partial credit credit. to him for things he doesn't deserve it um (laughs) but when this week we're doing the king's speech uh the 2010 tom hooper best picture winner is this our first best picture winner no we did return of the king oh right yes and i think there might have been one or two other strays in there yeah maybe we don't really prestige isn't isn't what we're known for not really among our interests Um, (laughs) although actually you know i mean i know we have important matters of gayness to discuss but honestly Mm -hmm. coming into this friend of the pod tom hooper Mm -hmm. as we it's just just the miserable that we've done of his right there wasn't I more so. Tom Hooper. I think that's just it. So basically, but we dragged him pretty heavily in the Les Mis episode because of that and also residual crimes related to cats. And so <laughs> par- part of what I want to do in this episode is just like conduct a full-scale investigation into like what happened to Tom Hooper. <laughs> there were moments when they like pull in really close on Colin for a space. And I was like, there it is. There I he is. See it. <laughs> I see the, the traces. Seeds. The seeds of later sins. Did you know? this was actually only his third feature ever and he had done and he had done two not particularly well-known or prestigious films and then this film full of everyone and it won a bunch of oscars yes yes speaking of which the cats colin firth jeffrey rush helena Mm. carter Mm. uh timothy spall in one of the most atrocious cameos of all time uh michael gambin ah yeah the little cameo those Mm. are the big ones Mm-hmm. Jennifer L, who I didn't recognize at first as yes. uh, Jeffrey's wife. Can we just begin by saying that this movie has a terminal case of period drama wife disease? Oh man, is it? Is it? Uh, yeah, it's it's not. You can't recover from it. The two of them, <sighs> Helen Bonham Carter and Jennifer L or Ely, I don't know how you say it. Uh, yeah, I don't as know. Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush wives exist for nothing but to be like, oh honey. Well, and it's funny because Helena sort of succeeds in making an impression by being like, I'm the queen mother, I'm, but as a young woman, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of an affable but wry powder puff. You know, they, try and, they try and give her like a presence, but yeah. fundamentally can't figure out what to do with her besides have her be just like the supportive, like, you know, yeah. you can do it, dear. Yeah. And she's like, you know, lovely and affecting in, in her small moments, but it really is just like, it's a duo, man. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It is. It is. This is one I'm like, you almost expect it to have been based on a play. It's so yes. focused on its central two characters. It is. And it's so spare. There's a, mm-hmm. a lot of their critical, uh, a lot of their critical scenes are really visually spare. Jeffrey Rush's like consulting office essentially is basically empty. There's just like a rug mm-hmm. and a sofa. And so it's, it's mostly a movie that is Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth alone in rooms. <laughs> yes. I think that was the alternative title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth alone in rooms best picture <laughs> when you put it like that 
but that's kind of it, you know, it's like, yeah. there's almost no cast and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of action and there aren't a lot of settings. Like most of the, of the long scenes are in the same place and it's very spare. And it's just like, we're interested in these guys. That's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that segues nicely into a plot summary, <laughs> yes. uh, which we should do. Basically, so Colin Firth, it is the, well, I mean, we sort of skip around a time a little bit. It's roughly the sort of late 20s to late 30s. Colin Firth is Bertie Albert, the future King George VI, but he does not know that yet. Uh, And he has a stammer and it's very embarrassing. Some very, very awkward scenes of attempting to public speak, Uh, not great. And so after trying a bunch of doctors and things, his wife, Helena Bonham Carter, finds Lionel Logue, played by Jeffrey Rush, an Australian with unconventional methods who takes in Colin Firth as a patient and they work together to improve his speech, which for Lionel includes sort of delving into the psychological kind of trauma related reasons behind speech impediments. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, there's the whole abdication crisis and the beginning of World War II happening. So the sort of stakes mount for why it's important for Bertie to be able to speak well. Uh, And eventually it sort of culminates in him having to give his first wartime address right Mm. after they've declared war with Germany. Lionel helps him do it and everything (laughs) is fine. (laughs) Man teaches other man to speak better and it works. The end. It's basically My Fair Lady. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Complete with marbles in mouth at one moment. Yes. I assume that's a deliberate reference. I think it is. I think it is. And that's one of like the shitty doctors before Lionel, who's not a doctor, but we'll get to that. I mean, also like just listening to that plot summary, such as it is, I feel like unconventional methods as a heading is such a like continuous sidebar of this podcast. You know, just like every time, like I'm thinking back at like other stories and it's like, there's always someone with unconventional methods and, you know, ding, ding, ding. I mean, yeah, this isn't not an inspirational teacher movie. Exactly. Yeah, there are actually a lot of ways in which it is totally an inspirational teacher movie. There's like the montage early on where it's like all of his, you know, the montage of his methods, which involve like tongue twisters and rolling around on the ground and like shouting out windows. And it's exactly the sort of, you know, dead poet society, right. kick the ball, you know, yeah. Remus Lupin teaches the kids to fight Bogarts. Like it's exactly <laughs> Remus in the Lupin model. does the same thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Remus Lupin copies Dead Poet Society and <laughs> Yeah. yeah or, but, you know, in Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's that montage that exists in all of those types of school films. But in this Absolutely. One, two adult men. Two adult men and also not a cohort of pupils, just one. <laughs> and there is <laughs> something really interesting about the spareness and the the simplicity of like, I mean, like we said, of Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth alone in a room is like, it heightens those tropes of the inspirational teacher movie that already felt pretty gay when it was one teacher and group. Mm-hmm. But when it's just a man alone with a man making him roll around on the carpet and like, you know, standing over him in front of the fireplace and like pressing on his chest, you're mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, okay. And it's really interesting. Like one of the first things that happens is like this focus on Jeffrey Rush's like ground rules yes. for undertaking the treatment, which first he sort of explains to Helena Bottom Carter who comes alone and then explains it to both of them. And it's very much like, you mm. know, it has to happen in my office and yeah. we have to use first names and, right. you know, 
he is very insistent. And there was a moment where he was like, oh, it, it all has to take place within the safety of my clinical practice. And I was like, yep. that's a little shady. When someone's like, no, no, my treatments must take place in the safety and secrecy of my rooms. You're a bit <laughs> They like, can't be observed by anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Dude, right? And there is a sort of whiff of danger around it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And thinking that and it's meant to be. And there's, I don't know, there's something sort of, um, not arrogant, but very really sort of spikily uh, self-assured about the way that Jeffrey Rush really like presents. And that in that scene, when Helena comes and finds him at the beginning and they have that chat, she says of her husband, I think, I don't know if he knows that they're royal yet in the conversation, but he's, she says he's seen everyone to no avail. And even mm-hmm. before he's met Bertie, Jeffrey Rush says, he hasn't seen me. Mm-hmm. And, and how about like, yeah. reacts with the like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, what's his thing that he says over and over? Conditions of total equality are necessary yes. for my methods to work, which is like a very intense thing to say to a prince. Yeah, and I think that like something, watch, so I'd seen this movie when it came out and I think maybe once since then. Mm-hmm. And something that only struck me on this watching was the sort of thematic resonance there of like his conflict, of Bertie's conflict with David his brother who becomes King right. Edward, who then abdicates so that he can marry Wallace Simpson, an American divorcee. We've all seen the crown. We know what happens. Um, yeah. But there's this conversation they have where David is like, you know, why can't I, anyone else can marry the woman they love? Yeah. Like, why can't I be equal to everyone else? And Bertie's yeah. like, well, if you're equal to everyone else, then by what right are you king? Um, and yeah, this yeah. sort of tension between the privileges yeah and kind of restrictions that are attendant on mm. your position yes I, yeah that's yeah. interesting well because even even when helena uh you know before she tips the hand when she's seeking out uh lionel when she says um you know she says my husband uh is required to do public speaking as a part of his job and jeffrey rush is like he should change jobs and then she says well he can't and then jeffrey rush is like some kind of indentured servitude and she says something <laughs> like that and you know it's like the fact that that's the you know I, I don't know it's we have all seen the crown and the abdication crisis is a sort of like you know covered but not central I guess a bit central you know uh it's sort of the of original movie, but... it's sort of the original sin of the crown it's like it's the thing they're yeah. always kind of fixated on and frightened of yeah which is smart and so it was interesting having that in our kind of cultural brain going back to the king's speech because I don't think I had seen it since it came out and it's interesting Mm. it it's it I don't know it I was thinking about the situation of the abdication crisis you know thing like a lot more on a lot more human level knowing more about it now returning to the king's speech with that exact tension that you're describing of like the reason that he can't marry a divorcee is that he's effectively head of the church of England. He's like symbolically head of the church of England, even though he doesn't have any actual power. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the ways in. I mean, obviously the film is really interested in the ways in which they are super restricted and also have no power. So they have privileges, but also a ton of restrictions and no actual power. It's really odd. Well, that's the, yeah, that's what David says. Have I, don't I have any rights? And Bertie says, you have a lot of privileges. Right. Instead. Instead. Yeah. And that's something that then their dad says to Bertie as well. He's like, Mm. you've become the most dreaded thing. This family has become actors. Yes. Yeah. But I have to say that, like, I don't feel like that tension 
mm. gets resolved. <laughs> like no, the question it doesn't. Is, what are we now? What are we for? What do we do? I guess we just perform. Yes. And, and the job is to do that. I mean, also very early in the movie, um, the dad, the king, Michael Gambon, says um, something, something about family to Bertie. And he was, says, it's we're not, he says, he says, it's we're not about- a family. Right, right, right. He says, we're not a family, we're a firm. Mm-hmm. And like, is- you're, yeah, I mean, it's a, so cutting, but, and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously also very much on the crown's mind, but it's interesting to, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is also on the crown's mind because obviously if that hadn't happened and he hadn't become king unexpectedly, Elizabeth would never have become queen unexpectedly, you know, not in a, yeah. But I don't think it does resolve the question. I think it just slightly reframes the question of do you always have to stay exactly what your family made you or Mm. even within the confines of your role can you become your own person even without escaping the role can you still transcend what your family designed you to be that's really interesting because I was just about to say I feel like one of the flaws of the movie is the Mm. lack of kind of connection thematically between what we're talking about and what central relationship is interested in but I think you've just now kind of connected them well well okay that's good that's good because this is a jump ahead but it is relevant to what we're talking about now so I might as well but one of the (laughs) the thing that connects it for me is the line when uh, it's the line where much later when Bertie is already king. We've moved through that. He's preparing for the speech and he's doing a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, the archbishop is really resistant. The, the sort of royal apparatus keeps trying to fire Logue and replace yeah. him with like an accredited speech doctor. And, you know, uh, the, you know and the king, uh, our boy, Bertie, um, says to the archbishop, I should like Dr. Logue to be seated in the king's box. And oh yeah, arch- this is before, this isn't before the speech, this is before the coronation. Right. Oh yes, and the archbishop, played by Derek Jacobi, another hidden gem in here, the archbishop yes. says, um, but members of your family will be there, sir, and he says that is why it is suitable. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, and maybe this is getting at how we can transition into like, so why is this gay? Yes. Um, in the sense that like the journey of Lionel and Bernie's relationship is mm-hmm. to a form of intimacy that is like a replacement family for both of them. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with Lionel's family, they just don't matter. Yeah. You yeah. just don't care. And in a way, something I was thinking about a bit is that in a way they are unappreciated by their separate spheres mm-hmm. until until they meet. You know what I mean? Because Lionel mm-hmm. is also like, Lionel is sort of a failed actor. Yeah. And, and he keeps trying, there's like a sweet thing with his sons where he keeps trying to do Shakespeare with his kids. And one of them doesn't give a shit at all. And one of them is sort of tepidly interested, but it's like, lol, dad, you know? And I don't know, it's like, they legitimize each other in a way that neither is legitimized by their own family. Yeah, that's really smart. Okay. Because I mean, I think this is, this is sort of the thing, isn't it? Is that like, 
one of the unconventional methods of Lionel is that like he rejects the idea that Bertie's speech impediment is purely what they call a mechanical issue yes. and sort of <laughs> invent psychoanalysis except for not but right. you know and sort of right like we have to delve into the kind of trauma that has given rise to yeah. your speech impediment um with mm. the effect of being that like he becomes sort of the only person who in this thing you're saying about like can you find a sense of self even within your role yeah he's the only person who kind of strips away all of the ways that he has been shaped by his upbringing and by being a prince to be like so who are you yes exactly and you sort of get the feeling that like even Helena Bonham Carter as Bertie's wife has never done that has never done this. And like, you know, by virtue of being married to him. And you know, it's funny because we've also talked a few times before on the podcast about how heterosexual marriage within the context of royalty just mm-hmm. f- functions as an arm of the business in terms of like, it's all the same thing. It's all one system under patriarchy. Like it's all, you know, it's like, it, it's all one thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, even with all the best intentions in the world, which she clearly has, you can't dismantle the thing from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is, like, it has to be. I mean, Jeffrey Rush is Australian, but it's also interesting that it's like it's not a, um, you know, it's a Commonwealth citizen who also mm-hmm. enacts the change, and someone who is like really un, who's, I don't know, someone whose insistence on dismantling the ceremonies is provocative, but like purposeful like someone who just doesn't give that much of a shit I mean yeah basically I think you're right that no one else has ever tried to know him as a man yeah well because it's the it's the equality thing right like right. he's the only person with whom he is a fellow man because even Elizabeth his wife right uh has this you know kind of line after he's become king where she's like well <laughs> to be honest I didn't want to marry you because you're royal yeah. But I figured, she says, he stammers so beautifully, they'll leave us alone, which obviously doesn't happen. But it is also like, even her love for him has always been filtered through her knowledge of who he is and who his family is. She was never like, I didn't want to marry you, but then I realized it doesn't matter who you, like, I know who you really are. It's like, I decided to overlook it, not I didn't care. Right. And like, you know, by the same token, like, you know, I, I decided that I would allow myself to take on the job because her thing mm-hmm. too is like, you know, I realized if I married you, my life would never be my own again, you know? And it's that whole thing of like, if you marry into the firm, you are part of the firm and mm-hmm. that's your business. And so it has to be somebody outside of the business who is able to actually be like, what happened in your childhood, bro? <laughs> like, you know, because someone has to be like, literally what happened in your childhood and there is an incredibly affecting scene where we like find out Mm -hmm. yeah should we just like jump yeah right there yeah yeah because it's very like I mean I think maybe we should take a step back and think about how Mm. like the thing because there's a a thing an idea that just got raised for me as well is like the different tones of you get the feeling like it's it's Elizabeth Helena Bonham Carter who kind of right. finds Lionel and you get the sense right. that she is the driver behind like I'm gonna find you a speech therapist like we're gonna yeah. fix this problem because it makes yeah. you unhappy um and you could tell that Bertie's like not super into it and in contrast when he gets to Lionel Lionel's like you know they first meet he's like are we gonna begin and Lionel's like only if you want to yeah I can't I'm not going to help you. I can't help you if you don't want it. And the difference between 
in the ways in which like even Elizabeth is part of the edifice and is trying to make him become something else and sort of fix him yes. versus the way that mm-hmm. Lionel kind of says later on when like the abdication crisis is brewing and they have this big fight where Lionel's like, you could be king, you know? Yeah. And you get the sense that it's, you know, he's the one who's like, you can fix yourself if you want to, but yeah. I can sort of take you, I can see who you really are even through Mm-hmm. this problem mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the way that like kingship is sort of the the kind of umbrella under which both of these two problems sit if that makes sense like they're yes. both trying to make him into a good king in different ways yes yes and there's a specific moment too where it's like the one moment that Lionel's wife has yeah. where a- after he kind of like pushes pretty hard in that conversation and is like you could be king and Bertie's just like having a mental breakdown so he like storms away and it's like it's that the breakup it's the breakup scene essentially and yeah. um Bertie breaks up with him because the intimacy is getting too real it's fine and mm-hmm. then Lionel's mm-hmm. like no one's ever believed in him before and he doesn't know how to cope. He can't take it. It's so touching and gay. And then uh, Lionel is having a conversation with his wife at some point later. And, and she says to him, perhaps he doesn't want to be great. Perhaps that's what you want. Mm. And I found that an interesting moment in terms of like this Lionel's secret aspirations for Bertie or like the fact that like he can see for a long time the thing that Bertie can't see in himself mm-hmm. you know what I mean I found that telling and interesting it's her only interesting line it is her only interesting line and it's like I mean that and that's the sort of again I think that's the conflict that the movie doesn't actually resolve not yeah. in an interesting unresolved way just you know like you raised this issue and didn't deal with it way of yeah. like yeah Bernie doesn't want to be great but he has to be anyway so yes. what is it exactly that Lionel is helping him discover about himself mm-hmm. his desire to be great or his capability that makes him able to just sort of resign himself to what's going on yeah I mean I think ugh, I think the movie thinks that the answer to that is the I have a voice crescendo of sort of like, I think the thing, I mean, that's, that's just why it's so simple and so spare. And it feels like it could have been a play. Do you know what I mean? It's like the mm-hmm. central, the central idea, the central metaphor is so simple. It almost doesn't make sense. It's, it's, he's a speech therapist to help someone find their voice means to help them find their voice. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> yep. the, the metaphor is just that it's just sort of like a man can't speak. What does that mean? What does it mean to help him learn how to stand in his own self and vocalize his own truth and like work through his trauma, I guess. But then what's so weird is that it's like, and the thing that that is for is for him to deliver a speech written by somebody else in order to be a symbolic figurehead. Yes, yes, yeah. No, that tension, it does not resolve because I think it's sort of, it's so focused on telling the story of this personal hurdle this personal difficulty that it doesn't in a weird way the film is so small it doesn't have time to examine the fact that that it doesn't answer a question because it's too busy sort of being royalist by trying to tell a story (laughs) of a human man you know what I mean it's actually like that that would be more critical of monarchy than the film is prepared to be yes yes though and maybe now we can turn to the conversation where he sort of reveals his you know Mm -hmm. the uh, the sad backstory unlocked uh (laughs) it gets as critical of the monarchy as it ever gets in yes. that moment. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is a scene, so, you know, Bertie and David's father, Edward, King Edward the 
third no not the third <laughs> that's insane edward the fifth king george the george the fifth isn't he George V, because oh, yeah, George he's also George, George isn't he? Yes, 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 yes. He's a so George. Right. Yeah. Yes, George the yeah. fifth. I don't know. Fifth, I'm sixth, the... yeah. Just George's. I can recite the like medieval ones, but not the 20th century ones. But anyway, <laughs> uh, George dies, and so, and uh, Bertie like unexpectedly shows up at Lionel's office. Lionel's like, I thought you weren't gonna come. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. and they end up drinking together I was gonna say not to work but to drink to hang out yeah yeah just to be together just to vibe just to vibe man hey I've actually um, just turned up because my dad is sad and uh he offers him tea and then he's like I'd kill for something stronger and then it's just like smash cut to whiskey yeah well and it's another kind of moment of like so you couldn't go to your wife with this she is too much a part well because not to like keep looping back away from mm-hmm. this moment but there's this like incredible moment as well where the father dies and David starts sobbing he throws yeah. himself on their mother and is weeping and she's literally like hands in the air like what is happening why are you touching me and then yeah. David rushes out of the room and Bertie follows him and is like what the hell was that and you're just like this your dad that just died me. yeah no, like what fucked. do you mean yeah. um but so then it is like you know elizabeth is too much of that world yeah. for him yeah. to go to her so he comes to mm-hmm. lionel the repression is coming from inside the house <laughs> <laughs> it just you gotta get out you gotta get out man gotta get out and go to your australian boyfriend's place uh, mm-hmm. and have a drink of whiskey and then mm-hmm. they just sort of start wending into like oh my dad. I was afraid of my father and then we learned why because his father was abusive and terrifying and like the whole yes apparatus of his upbringing was fucked yeah it was really fucked and it was fucked on such a level so like this conversation is like three conversations in one and it has I, I I might need to get pretty granular because like there are several like little exchanges in this conversation where it was one of our a classic this movie is gay experience where I wrote a line down and then paused and then wrote a line down and then paused because it was just like there are so many sections there's like when he shows up at first he is embarrassed about being sad you know and like Mm -hmm. there's a moment where that at the beginning of that conversation before we're like really drunk and getting into the childhood drama he's like I'm not going to sit here warbling and Lionel (laughs) says you can with me yeah because he's having trouble speaking and Lionel's like you should sing you can sing the things you you want to say that helps the words come out and he's like right and then he says you can with me and then Birdie says because you're peculiar and then Lionel says, I take that as a compliment, which again, if we had a nickel every time someone is, <laughs> I'm going to also start it. There's like becoming a bingo and your peculiar or some version thereof is definitely mm-hmm. like an, if I had a nickel experience. And so like mm-hmm. Lionel also starts asking him, this is the conversation that has the left-handedness in it as well mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. we break. Right. So it's like and the knock knees. Yeah. Right. So we like get into this midpoint of the conversation where Lionel is like trying to get into it without like really obviously psychoanalyzing him, but he's like sliding in sideways with it. And he's like, you know, did you have any other, like, he's asking him about when the stammering began and about his early childhood, therefore. And he asks him if he was originally right-handed and Bertie says, no, he was originally left-handed and then he was punished. And so he had to change. And then there's this super loaded weird pause. And then Lionel goes, any other corrections? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? This is gay. I was like, what? It's gay. 
Um, and the answer is actually more physical abuse in the form of like he had knock knees and had to wear these incredibly painful mm. like stilts. But it is Braces, just like the literalness yeah. of mm-hmm. him being like they reshaped my body. <sighs> yeah. To make me who I am right now. And I mean, yes, that the huge, again, the metaphors are so literal. It's almost elegant, but they're also just so glare. You know, it's like so glaring, you know, (laughs) it's almost so bad. It's good. Yes. But like one of the other things is the part of what his telling about it, about that, that part of his childhood reveals is like the distance between him and his parents. So he tells this horrifying anecdote where he's like during the period where he had these braces uh, on his legs and like all of that. And during his early childhood, he was uh Lionel says who did you feel closest to in your family and he was like nobody well nannies not my first nanny and then he tells this horrifying anecdote where he's like yeah she didn't she loved David and she didn't love me and it includes the line when we were brought to see like mummy and daddy for the daily viewing and I was like the daily viewing like they um when they were like presented to their parents he tells the story about how the nanny would pinch him to make him cry and then they would give him back to her and she would punish him by refusing to feed him and so he was being literally abused and starved and then he says it took them years to notice three years he says yeah three years to notice and so he's being abused and then he says it caused all kinds of stomach problems as you can imagine and like he's being horribly abused in his own home and his parents don't even notice Mm -hmm. well and it's and also in this story like it's just they're just piling it on it's like he tells a story about his older brother johnny i think older or his brother johnny yeah who had epilepsy who died like locked away yeah where nobody could see and they when he was like 14 right like he yeah was they say really he's young different so I think we're given to imagine he had some sort of mental you know mm-hmm. de- developmental delay or something like that right um right. yeah and he sort of implies like he died without any of the siblings kind of ever seeing him again because he'd just been locked away like in classic away. royal family fashion as we've learned um, exactly exactly so it's just like this information dump of the kind of tragic backstory while we're sitting here drinking in this very like late night intimate way yeah this torrent of like sad yeah yeah abuse um yeah but again it's like you I mean he says to him like you're the only person who knows this yeah he does and so you really do get the feeling that like his wife doesn't know this yeah you do get the feeling that nobody knows but Lionel and it's like to get that's probably about like the halfway point or maybe even a little later and Mm -hmm. what's what's interesting about it too is that like you know in the early part of their relationship Bertie is really reticent and really resistant and doesn't want like the front half of the relationship is about Lionel's insistence on on equality and on neutralizing the distance between them and trying to overcome and also like because he's royal but also sort of British and like you know I mean just like the (laughs) the the thing about privacy is Mm -hmm. such a is such a major wall that's built up at the beginning with Bertie Mm -hmm. I mean frankly like a story about trying to scale someone's emotional privacy wall in order to help them and in order to like create a, spe- a special relationship between you. And then when you finally do it, the payoff is that, that's pretty gay. Yes. I you think know? that raises exactly the question that I had thinking about this is like, it's very obvious 
I mean, and this is always sort of the lingering question about these inspirational teacher movies that makes them feel a little gay, where it's like, it's very clear what the student is getting yeah. in this case, Birdie. So it's like, so yeah. what is what is Lionel getting? Because yeah. there's this part um, around the coronation. It's like a very abrupt little almost breakup where Birdie's people go digging into who Lionel is and they discover he's not actually a doctor. And right. as Lionel points out, he's never claimed to be a doctor. Birdie just assumed he was one. Right. Uh, and so there's this sort of sense of like, you lied to me, you just wanted to kind of like entrap a star pupil and mm. sort of, you know, it's like a sense, like you did this for self-aggrandizement. You did this, yes. you know, to be famous and yes. influential and make money. And yeah. Lionel's like, that is not true at all. I, you know, mm. I do this because I like helping people. Mm. Um, but it's like, we never really get, we get, so we get an answer for why he's not doing it, but I don't know that we ever really get an articulated answer for why he is doing it. Because we do sort of have these threads early in the movie of like, he is someone who lacks legitimacy. Yeah. Like there's the scene where he goes to audition for like an amateur dramatics, mm -hmm. you know, production of Richard III. And they're like, mm, I didn't know Richard was king of the colonies. Yeah, you know? they're like and dicks like people, about him being Australian. Yeah. Yeah, like people make fun of his sort of like Amdram aspirations. And so there's like a version of the story where it's like, yes, on some level, he's doing this because what's more legitimate than you know, teaching the King of England to speak. But it yes. never becomes about that for him. That's never like the like, yes, I began with selfish motives, but now it's because I love you kind of art no. for him. And, and also it's complicated by the fact that from the beginning, he doesn't respect the institution. And, yes. you know, it's like the thing is like the legitimacy that this particular association would grant him, he doesn't even want. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't even think, he, like he clearly just doesn't care about royalty like about no. the whole system you know it's so interesting I mean obviously he, you know he demonstrates it later in particularly flagrant ways by like sitting on the throne or whatever <laughs> yeah Edward seat and like calling right. a stone of schoon a rock and yeah exactly and, and you know it's um he he enjoys to a certain degree sort of flouting all of the conventions that surround Bertie as a human Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, he doesn't even give a shit. I think that's really a good question to keep investigating is like, what is he here for? Like, what does he, what do you get out of this? And I mean, in some ways, I think it's exactly what you just said. It's like the emotional intimacy with this man yes. is its own reward. That is what I mean, he wants. Yeah. And the thing is like to, again, I don't know. I might just, I want to keep pursuing this idea of like somehow they're mutually validating. And it's the thing of like mm -hmm. on a personal level, because obviously mm -hmm. yeah, people kind of make fun of his like amateur dramatic, whatever, like people, I don't know. There's, mm, there's a story that he tells later after the digging has been done and we've realized he's not a real doctor and then he's like I never pretended to be a real doctor um he tells a bit about his backstory and mm -hmm. in his own words his kind of origin story of how he became a speech therapist was he got pulled into it after the first world war mm -hmm. um because people essentially the sense that you get is that soldiers and and people who he knew who he had fought with or who he had been you know with in the war like were suffering from what we would now call PTSD. Like people were, mm -hmm. people were shattered by the experience and needed to be counseled essentially. And so what he ended up doing was like helping them rebuild their confidence, but under the, under the guise of, I suppose, speech, but also like the quote, the thing that he says is 
my job was to give them faith in their own voice and let them know a friend was listening. Yeah. And then he's, he says that must that must ring a few bells for you, Birdie. It's like when they're sort of, you know, getting back together tepidly. And something about that is where he is what he's in it for. Yeah, he like exists to be everybody's friend. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, he, this is his life's work. Like this is his, this is the thing that gives him meaning and purpose in his life, just like helping people. But you do feel that his relationship I mean, I think that's the reason we kind of get these little very stupid asides where he's like vaguely talking to his wife about his mysterious client that he can't, you know, yes. name. Yeah. Uh, and you can just sense that like, she's, you know, has these little like, oh, you're not, that's not how things usually go for you. Like, this sounds different. He sounds important yeah. to you. Like, she's there to reflect back yes. that like, this relationship is different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think I think part of what I read in it for Lionel is the thing of like, this is a massive challenge. And mm. I think because he lacks accreditation, like because he wasn't trained, because like he says to Bertie later in that same scene, he says everything I learned, you know, like everything I learned, I learned from experience. And mm-hmm. he says, he says, and that war was like some experience, you know, and it's basically like, I think in a way what he, I think he wants to be proven right. I think he, I think he wants to prove that like, it isn't about, it isn't about mechanics that he's cracked something that, that traditional doctors seemingly haven't cracked, which is that it's about, you know, he's invented psychoanalysis. Like you said, it's like, it's not, (laughs) it's, it's not about the muscle. It's that you have to heal the whole person. Yeah. But again, it's like by the end there, it is obviously more than yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they do sort of fall in love. The professional. Yes. They fall in love. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They I mean, they do. And like, that's what's in it for him. It's like, he just yes. has to be in Bertie's life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause yeah. there's this moment um, that I just remembered where right after Bertie has signed the papers, you know, and become King and he's sort of being ushered through this crowd to a car and he looks out the window and spots. Yeah. He uh, sees Lionel him. in the crowd. Yeah. And this sense of like, because they've already had their breakup by this point, and he's fired him for like the fifth time. They break up like ten times. Yeah, and yeah. It's mostly Birdie. <laughs> Birdie thrashes around a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and it's like even though he, even though Birdie is no longer his patient, it's like Lionel has still wanted to kind of come check on him. You get yeah. the feeling, just sort of yeah. see him and see if he's okay, even yeah. from a distance. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is like some genuine romance happening, you know? There's really genuine romance happening. And in the very like, oh, in the masculine way of sort of like, you know, my father's dead and I can't talk to anyone. So I'd like to show up and drink, you <laughs> know, of just like, you turned out to be my only friend. I've never had a friend before. Like, you know what yes, I mean? Like, that's a it. a lot of that. Yeah, well, and it's, it's not like we ever see Lionel having like a social group either. Like his family are all Australian. We don't really know why he's come to England. Um, He's trying to join these Amdram groups and they won't let him in. Like, it's like he doesn't really have a community Mm -hmm. either. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I do think it's interesting that they, that, that he's Australian and obviously I'm sure that's like, you know, Jeffrey Brush is an Australian actor. I'm sure that's partly why mm-hmm. he was cast, but it's also like, that's an interesting thing is that like, this isn't even his country. Like there, yeah. there's a fish out of water thing going on on both sides where like they have nowhere, they have no community. Yeah. This movie doesn't know what to do with empire. 
the opening no. stat it's like it be, begin with a title card and it's like the population of england is like 25 percent of the population of the entire world like with the empire mm, yes. and you're just like okay so you've opened this priming us to be thinking about empire yeah but don't but we're not gonna and like the the way that radio there's all these shots when they're like mm-hmm. doing broadcasts where they show the sort of like row of like kind of I don't know what they even are mm-hmm. kind of dispatch right mm-hmm. yeah they all are the, the feeds different to the countries the feeds yeah. to the different um like commonwealth countries and like yeah, so it like goes through and it's like Jamaica Kenya like you can see yeah, them all. yeah. and we're constantly sort of being reminded of this but never yes. really well the hand is never tipped of like why are you why why are well, we thinking about this I think I know why but it's but and, and again the metaphors are all really simple I think that I think that what this movie is thinking of, and again, isn't thinking about being critical of empire, isn't thinking about, <laughs> I, I think that basic purely what this movie is thinking about is the size of the audience. I think, of course. I, think yes. the mo- I think the movie is thinking, is wanting us to remember at every turn the number of people he's speaking to. That's so, so straightforward. I feel really stupid. For- yes, no, no. I mean, yeah. I think it's important. I mean, I think that it's just like, <laughs> again, it made, it's a, it's a global canvas, but it's an incredibly narrow story. It's two men in a room. It's just, it's just this sing. I mean, the whole drama of it is this singularly, um, you know, in his own mind, uh, insufficient man mm-hmm. has suddenly and unexpectedly been tasked with speaking to the largest audience in the world the largest single collective audience in the world at that time and it's yes. like he he is so overmatched by the task the point the point of the story is so simple it's just like can he in his own capacity not trying to be anything else but actually being himself meet the audience yes and it's interesting therefore that in the end in his final in the climactic wartime address the solution that Lionel Mm -hmm. finds is to take away the audience exactly this is why it's gay and I mean I think this is the I think this is the thing exactly that was such a good segue because I I do think that I mean, God, what does Lionel get out of it? I mean, this is where he ends up. Like by the time, mm-hmm. by the time Birdie is addressing this worldwide audience and they keep reminding us that it is worldwide. He is in this recording booth with Lionel right before he's about to go. And he's like shitting himself. He's so nervous, of course. And um, right before the light flashes and it goes live, fucking Lionel looks him in his eyes and says, forget everything else and just say it to me say it to me as a friend like that's what happens and so it like sets up this grandeur of like all these zillions of people are listening to you and this is your make or break moment and then he literally is like nobody matters but me yeah and it is and it, and then like as he gives the speech it's like the titillation of like when you're on the phone with somebody, but there's another person in the room with you yeah. where you're silently doing the like, I'll just like, oh my God, yes. you're so boring. Like, you know, the intimacy. And it's like, that yeah. is the, what they're having. Yes. That's the exchange they're having as he gives the speech or Lionel sort of coaching him and like, yes. being like, like yes. the running thing of like swear, you can, you're more fluid when you swear. So like you look yes. to Lionel, he's like mouthing like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, and yeah, oh my God, it's inside, so good. The exchange of what has now become like inside jokes. Yes. as he addresses the nation yes. when it's really like the real conversation the real intimacy yes 
Yes. And okay. So here's the thing. We, uh, this is interesting because I feel like we've had this conversation on the podcast in terms of love, kingship and intimacy and how, you know, all those things, but it's also like, I can't remember if it's a conversation we've had on the podcast or just in like our actual work with Shakespeare plays, but whatever, it's a conversation we- casually in our lives. (laughs) We're just casually in our lives, which is also possible. But the idea uh, that, you know, the sort of well-trod for us anyway, idea that like a king, because you're in this singularly isolated position, a king's marriage is with the country. A king's Mm -hmm. relationship is with the country in this sense, the audience, like the the country Mm -hmm. is your audience, that's your relationship. So what does it mean when someone arrives who decides to singularly embody that relationship? Like, what does it mean for someone to show up and be like, I am the subject, use me, I'm the only one. Like it's this Mm. massive audience, I'm the only audience. Like that is incredibly gay to be like, dwindle it down to me. I'll be the person, I'll be the country you have the relationship with. And it's also like, and I will look back and see you too. Yes. No longer will this be a faceless mass. It will be an individual who looks back and sees you in return. Yes. Yes, as a man, as a human, yeah. I mean, like, isn't this the fantasy behind? I mean, because the way you were putting it just now, it's like, this is as much a story about celebrity as yes, monarchy, which yes, I think exactly. is why it's maybe doesn't delve into the particular questions of monarchy in a very interesting way. Yes, agreed. And so then it's like, isn't that the engine behind the sort of rom-com fantasy of like, you yeah. know, the fan who falls in love with the pop star? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing, it's the thing of like, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it is the the beautiful sort of thing of everybody is knowable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that thing of like people who look like they're just an idea are knowable. And I feel like that's the reclamation that's happening with Birdie in terms of the intimacy of like, he has given up on the idea of himself as a knowable entity. Yes, that's so good. I mean, because okay, good. he has, he has, I mean, again, it's returning to this deal. Like he has been physically molded yes. into mm-hmm. something. And also this just reminded me of the, one of the first things he says when he sits down with Lionel after mm. his father has died is he says, I was told after the fact, my father's last words were, Bertie has more guts than all of his brothers put together. And there's this sort of pause. You're like, is that good? Is that bad? And then he sort of tearfully says, he couldn't say it to my face. Yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. something in that of like, mm-hmm you can never, you were knowable, but you couldn't be told it until it was too late. Like someone saw you, Mm -hmm. but couldn't see you well enough to see that you needed to know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing of like, as he said, you know, the thing inside, the pain inside of we're not a family, we're a firm is like, (laughs) I gave up in my infancy on the idea of being loved properly. Mm -hmm. Like I Mm -hmm. I realized I would never be loved. And that's that's the- the they didn't notice for three years like yes it's just the thing of like yeah okay like I, you know I'm the idea of never being known never being loved and then suddenly I mean that's why I feel like the whole you know put him in the royal box but your family will be there that's why it's suitable thing is so significant mm-hmm. because it's like I've made a new family with someone who decided to tell me what they think of me yeah to see me yeah and like doggedly pursue me even yeah as my every time you know his walls go up yeah and he pushes Lionel away like Lionel can see him clearly enough to know like I'll Mm -hmm. wait 
he'll come yeah. back. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of pathetic when you put it that way, but like, I think that there's something validating in that for Bertie yes. of like, yes, he isn't put off by the kind of facade. Well, and also it teaches him that he can be forgiven. Yeah. Because, because I think that that's also something that was withheld by his family a lot, you know, mm-hmm. is that like, cause you get the sense that his father was a big part of why his father as a presence is a big part of why he stammers in yes. terms of like, you know, because you see him before he really starts declining, you see Michael Gambon in the movie yell at him trying to get him to say a speech and being like you know you can stop stop basically stop whining and get on with it and Mm -hmm. you can you can read into the whole history of why he is the way that he is in that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely Absolutely. um and I forgot what I was gonna say (laughs) It made me think a little bit about the conversation that we had with Prince of Egypt, actually, in terms of kingship and manliness and the way that, right? Well, the way that, the way that a stern father who is a ruler can Mm -hmm. bend someone out of shape by putting on, putting, by equating kingship and masculinity in Mm -hmm. the way of like, if you can't do this right, you're not a king and you're not, and therefore you're not a man, you know, and that, and that kind of thing. I had that in my mind a little bit, you know, the pressure. Yeah. And the sense of like, I mean, it's exactly what you say to this idea of forgiveness. Like he's never been forgiven. He could never be forgiven for not getting it right, for not being what he's supposed to be. Right. So to be, you know, when, for the, in the moments when he fails at sort of being a friend and being a patient, Mm -hmm. idols there to be like, it's all good. We all fail. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for like, I don't know for Lionel to, to implicitly and sort of explicitly to be like, it makes sense that you're the way you are. Like, yes, people did bad things to you. Yes. Because that is really, that's so key. Like yeah, the, the idea that it's not, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. No. Like you have responded in totally reasonable ways to the circumstances mm-hmm. of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like having received the message for, for your whole life that you are defective and that it's your fault mm-hmm. and that you're somehow morally lazy or resisting, or that you could be better if you tried, or that you could, you know, that like you could be excelling. You just don't want to, for someone to then be able to see it and be like, this was done to you. Though it is still we Again, this is one of these moments where like the movie's own metaphors kind of trip over each other because it's like yes the thing is still but you need to work to self-improvement like you need to yeah. find your own voice yes and obviously yes. that's for your own benefit but like another thing you know Lionel's also like you have to work for it you have to be yeah. willing to do the work yeah. so it is like again it sort of gets muddled in itself a little bit in that way because it's like yeah you do still need to do this though <laughs> yeah well and at least though it's like the the idea of um you'll be able to do the thing that everyone else has given up on you for, you know? I mean, I guess that's sort of where he tries to push it is the idea that like nobody else thinks you can do this, but I do, you know? And I don't know. It's like, and I mean, of course, like like the larger, the larger uh, issue really, like you said before, is the thing of like all of this growth and self-improvement still leads to taking over the family firm that destroyed you and, 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 you know, and, and ruined so, you know, your childhood and all this thing is like, he still has to become the thing, but at least I guess he gets to become a version of the thing that 
he has agency over I guess yes or yeah it's very muddled at the end because like the ending title card is like he became a symbol of wartime resistance you're like oh so he's a symbol he's a symbol again that's all he's achieved and then the second Mm -hmm. one is they remained friends for the rest of their life a nationalist symbol at that yeah yeah and so it's like it it places the weight on they remain friends for the rest of their lives like because Mm -hmm. we end on that you know we're like Mm -hmm. okay that's the one that matters but it is like what was this for (laughs) to become a symbol (laughs) like you were you were in the army last time like you were actually doing things in the last war um but again I think that's why in some ways I hadn't really thought of it until I said it a minute ago Mm. so I'm sorry for repeating my own idea again and again but it's like it is kind of more about celebrity yes than monarchy and sort of being like, okay, so how could you, it's like, almost like, how do you put your platform to good use? Yeah, yeah, and like. Like mm-hmm. he became the thing he needed to be for this moment, yes. which is yes. a symbol of national resistance. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, good yes. job, you did it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's the, ju- it's the idea of Judy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. And his, him as a person who, he says over and over again, you know he does not want to be king that's part of why he gets so angry at Lionel I think is the implication that like surely on some level you want this and I think genuinely he doesn't want to be king but he's a person with such a profound sense of responsibility that once it's in his lap never does it seem to occur to him to be like I'm not doing this either well, I mean, there's that scene where he, he, the only sort of intimacy he has with his wife is that scene when he's already king and he's looking through the red mm-hmm. box, the dispatch box of like all the stuff. And I know, down, like, yeah, I know what that is now. <laughs> yeah. He, he breaks down crying and says, I'm not a king. I'm not a king. And it's like, yeah, so intense. But, you know, I don't know. I think maybe part of what the lesson I, is supposed to be is the thing of like, he, of course, always assumed that the king would be his brother, David, when his brother mm-hmm. abdicates, you know, like the whole unexpected thing of like, he has been taught forever that he's not what a king looks like. And he assumed that that was true. But I think what he's learning is that a king can be what he is it doesn't have to be you know like there's a significant moment after the broadcast like after the thing where um where somebody says something about how uh uh halting at first or something like that about his how daughter it's of, elizabeth right it is elizabeth where he starts off kind of shaky or whatever and he says i think to lionel he says uh after well, no, he says yeah so is it Chamberlain? The speech and lionel yeah. says Oh, you stuttered a little on the W still. Yes, yes. And he said, I had, he says, I had, had to throw in a few so they knew it was me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe that is the thing. It's like instead of becoming capital K King, right? The King becomes him. Yes. I think that's the sort of goal. That's the end result is like, I'm still, I get to still be myself and do the job. I never thought that was possible. I don't have yes. to be my father. I don't have to be my brother. The job can be done by me and I don't have to be different than I am. Yes. And part of that is that he keeps getting to hang out <laughs> with his best friend, Lionel, who I swear to God, there's a moment oh, in the last scene where I thought they were going to kiss. <laughs> like I knew they weren't. It is. <laughs> it is so, but it is so close. It is so, it, they just get really close together and like all but reach for each other. It is so 
intense. And the thing is like, after that, he goes out to like, you know, I mean, like he, he has to go, uh, you know, onto the balcony with his family, sort of wave at the gathered citizens. And mm-hmm. on the way to that, there's a moment where they make eye contact across a room and Lionel is sort of framed in a doorway. And there's some her- enchanted evening. Yeah. I was You'll be the stranger. <laughs> and they like, they literally, you know, the, uh, Birdie's being spoken to by sort of ministers telling him what he's about to do or whatever. And they make contact like eye contact across the room and there is like this incredibly like romantic solemn head nod Mm -hmm. and and then and then I mean you know this is the the our forever thing about privacy versus public life in terms of you know kings on a metaphorical level the private moment finishes and then the balcony opens and then he gets to step outside with his family his wife and his kids and be a king but Mm -hmm. the the private life is standing right behind him unseen Mm -hmm. by the audience and we know where it is yeah it's yeah so intense Mm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. It's just like it, it, yeah. I mean, I guess it is like the way that it culminates in this splitting. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just sort of like, again, it's one of those ones where I feel like on a certain level, we're like, they've got to know what they're doing here. Like the way that it pulls apart. And I don't know, there's something sort of romantic about the fact that they don't even really need to say very much when it's over. The fact that everything has led to this and they don't even really have to, they don't even really have to congratulate each other or get really, I don't know. There's, there is a well done you too moment. He does say well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause that's the moment where they almost kiss. <laughs> yeah, that is the almost kiss. But then this comes after, I mean, is it, this is maybe crazy, but like, is it something in, unlike David? And this sounds like a bad thing, but I feel like maybe in the movie, it's a good thing. Birdie can split. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he can be like, yes. I'm going to have my family out on the balcony. But yep. I know kind of across the room of ministers, I have my anchor, my true person, yes. my true self. Unlike David, yes. who was like, I can't have Wallace as my mistress. Like she has to be my wife. I have to integrate yeah. yes. these two halves of myself. And Birdie's like, yes. you can't. You can't. Yeah, you. Yes. Yeah, gosh, that's a great point. I mean, because especially because visually that is what the shot does at the very mm-hmm. end. Like they and like the very last shots before the sort of um final title cards that tell us, you know, they were friends for the rest of their lives and et cetera. It's like the framing is, you know, you see the royal family uh from the front and the back, I think. Like you mm-hmm. see them mm-hmm. waving, doing the thing, you see them being received. Again, this metaphor of the audience. Mm-hmm. You see you see him be received by the audience. And then the final shot is of Jeffrey Rush. Mm-hmm. It cuts it cuts back to him on the fade out, watching from behind the waving. And I really feel like that's them super driving home the point of like, this is the audience, this is the real audience. You know, yes. and the fact that here's the thing, now we cut back to the person that matters, the end. You know? Yes. And it's the idea that like he has found his true voice, but it is not for them. It is for no. him. Yes. Yes. I mean, God, again, such a simple metaphor, but is the whole point of the story just that in order to find your true voice, you have to have someone to talk to? Like, yeah, I think it fucking is. I mean, that's what he right? says, right? Work with the soldiers, they just needed to know that a friend was listening. Yeah. And the idea that like, even yeah. though he's married, even though he has children, even though, I mean, because there is something mm. in like, when he's 
giving speeches or even there's this scene early on where he's like telling a bedtime story to his daughter is very haltingly and they always kind of cut oh, yeah. to Carter giving these very sort of like awkward pitying like oh god this yeah. is painful faces and like it's loving but it's also like well of course he can't talk to you because yeah. this is painful for you because you love him yes. it is like yeah no wonder you don't count yes yeah and well it's just like Jeffrey Rush succeeds in loving him anyway and isn't yes. embarrassed for him yes that's exactly. like the whole thing he just does, reminds- doesn't care yeah I've, I've known one person who spoke with a stutter um we were in like a, a workshop thing together and like the very first day he was like hey by the way I stutter I'm sorry if you're mm-hmm. embarrassed while I'm stuttering but I'm not so just wait for me to finish yeah. and like yeah. that's just what he said on the first day yeah, and like yeah, it yeah. just proceeded and it was a sense of like the embarrassment's all in you I'm good and exactly. I think that is sort of what uh yeah that's I think exactly the energy that Jeffrey Rush brings mm-hmm. is like the little bottom predator is palpably embarrassed for him yeah and Jeffrey, and Jeffrey Rush is just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just here, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. I mean, well, the thing that the point that you made about splitting, I'm still thinking about that, about the idea of like, is that what's needed? Is that what you have to have uh, in order to be a royal figurehead of like, is that the essential quality of kingship? Is that, is it that you have to? be able to I mean maybe it's that like in order to present a public self you have to know who your private self is and I guess Mm. be content be content to let it never be seen I don't know I mean it's all so complicated because it's like as long as you have a real audience it won't matter that it isn't the public yeah yeah I think there's something in that like Mm. that I mean, you know, the idea that maybe David can't split his two selves because yeah. he sort of only has a public self. Yeah. And yeah. for Bertie, it's like, yeah, you can only not. I mean, again, this is the way in which it's maybe about celebrity again. It's like mm. you need something to keep that facade from becoming your true self. And only then can you live comfortably. Right. Because if you have no sort of buffer, if you have no anchor. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you just sort of merge into the idea and that sort of distressing and traumatic in all the ways that stories about celebrity always tell us that it is. Right, 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 right. It's so, really this sort of like quintessentially English thing of like, of course yeah. you shouldn't be your true self in public. How embarrassing. Of course your true self is something private that only exists for like your intimate bestie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the happy ending of this movie. Mm -hmm. That's the happy ending of like, of like, yeah, it doesn't, don't talk to them. Talk to me. You have your one person and that's enough. Okay. You know? And it's like, it's a really interesting, it's one of those ones where it's like, I wonder how aware of that part of the story that it's telling it is, you know what I mean? Because on the surface level, you know, it's the thing of like, it's, man has difficulty undergoes inspirational journey to find himself but Mm -hmm. but it is such a more complicated thing about what is the nature of intimacy and what is the nature of like I don't know I'm still thinking about your question about what is in it what is in it for Jeffrey Rush in terms of like because it is more complicated on his end but something about the resolution does make it feel like they both have found their place yeah, I mean, I think it's that he, I think in the end, it is about 
Birdie, about being Birdie's audience. It reminds me of there's this funny scene where after one of their breakups, Birdie and his wife go to (gasps) Lionel's house for the first time. And Lionel's right. wife comes home early unexpectedly. Yes. And Lionel sort of freaks out and they're like hiding in his office. He's like, no, 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 we have to hide. I haven't told my wife about us. It's such a boyfriend moment. I haven't told her boyfriend. about us. What? <laughs> Why would you phrase it that way? But it is like this idea of like what he gets from it is like being important to Birdie. Yeah. Like yeah. his wife is like and awestruck gay. and can't kind of function. And he's like, yeah, this is my boyfriend. And yes, that is yeah. gay. That's gay. <laughs> when the only thing you're getting out of this relationship is the relationship itself. You there it is. Gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is... Yeah. I mean, that's not I mean, really weirdly transactional. It's not like we should be getting things out of friendships, but it's like, this is a business relationship originally. <laughs> Yeah, ostensibly. And also the film does, as we've said, it does work really hard to hammer home the point that it is not for self-aggrandizement or like professional standing or legitimacy of any kind that he's doing this. It is emotional reasons. Like if Mm -hmm. the whole relationship is powered by and just the simple emotional belief that Lionel has that Birdie can do it. Yeah. That's it. And, And that's gay. And that's gay. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Um, if you like what you've heard, you can find us on the podcast playing platform of your choice. You should subscribe, yes. leave a review. Oh my God, do that. To combat the lingering Mark Gatiss influence. We're pulling um, back up. We're pulling back up slowly okay. but steadily. Yes, thanks guys. Um, you should also follow us on Instagram. Please do that at This Movie Is Gay podcast. Or on Twitter at This Movie Is underscore gay. And we will see you next week. Goodbye.